last week, I kind of set the course for us with Isaiah 43, talking about how we're believing that God is doing a new thing, both in us, among us, through us, um, and that we, we recounted God's faithfulness. We said God has been faithful. We, I've got a whole thing in my office of all the ways, I mean, not all the ways, of some specific ways that God has been faithful. And uh, of all of those things you guys wrote, I'm sure you could come up with tenfold uh, as many of, uh, of how God has been faithful. Um, and uh, then uh, Isaiah kind of turned the corner for us, and he said, uh, Behold, all, the God who's done all of these really incredible things, how he's been faithful. And he turns the corner, and he says, Forget all of it. God's doing a new thing. And we're like, Whoa, time out. This was all really cool stuff. What about all this stuff? And we're like, That was great, but we're not going to worship that stuff. We're going to worship the God that did that stuff, and he's doing something new. And it was exciting to see the new that we were believing for. And so we saw on the other board, you guys wrote uh, of ways that we saw, felt uh, that, that God was doing something new uh, in and through us and, and what we were seeking God for and the gaps we were looking for him to fill in. And then I asked, um, I asked you guys at the end of service to uh, commit, again, there's, there's nothing magic about any of this. It's not, I, I, I want to push against this as much as possible. There's no like magic incantation or you say the right prayer, or you read the right scripture, and then is a new thing. That's not how, that's not how it works. Uh, but it instead is a constant state of surrender. And I ask you guys to say, uh, what is one new thing you can do? And that's not going to be magic, and it's not going to fix all of the problems, but what's a new thing you can engage with this week? And... Um, you guys gave great responses to me. I asked you guys to email, and I got really good responses from so many of you. Today, uh, like I said, it was really encouraging to hear your guys' responses. Um, it was encouraging to um, hear how you were digging in, and some of them were really creative, choosing your day. Uh, I saw some that were, uh, I'm going to, before I touch anything, or uh, put my feet on the floor. I'm going to say, like, I'm going to engage in conversation with God before. I, when I wake up, I'm not doing anything. Touching my phone, getting out of bed before I engage in conversation with God. So I saw someone that was, um, I'm going to. I, I listen to a lot of music stuff on the way to work. I'm not going to touch my radio on the way to work, and I'm going to engage in all good, good stuff. So that was really encouraging, and I, I get the sense that we're like. We're ready. It was exciting this week of like, yeah, let's, let's turn a page. Let's see God do a new thing. Um, here is the hiccup, though. I don't think it's always entirely formulaic of A plus B equals C. So silence in the morning plus scripture reading before bed equals God doing a new thing. It, if it were that easy, I, uh, we could just like get together do that once a week, we'd be good to go. But it doesn't seem to be that interesting. But here's what's super, or that easy, but here's what's super interesting about it, is I believe, and I think Scripture indicates, that God never stops working. And so uh, he's constantly, even actively today, holding and sustaining creation. So God is active in his creation. And um, we can, as followers of him, we can get ourselves into a frenzy all that we want. We can, we can sing a thousand songs and get like real amped up. Uh, we can uh, pray all of the right prayers. We can be laid out in the aisles 
convulsing uh, in the spirit. We can do all of those things, but I don't think there is a formula of A plus B equals C. I don't think there's a formula of scripture plus silence plus coming to church on Sunday uh, equals God working. And so how is it that we go about the process of uh, engaging with what God is doing, of saying, I want to be involved with whatever's going on here, with whatever you're up to in this new thing. Um, and, and so how can we position ourselves? Imagine like this. God never stops working, never stops moving. So imagine I've got this big set of gears up here. And this first gear is, uh, is the motorized one. It's the, uh, for those who are engineers, um, you're going to have to forgive my description of this because I'm sure I'm butchering it. Uh, but you got this motorized gear up here. And it's, it's turning, okay? And it never stops turning. It is always, consistently, always, never stopping. What's the way maker say? Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. My shoulder's going to go out. of It's always going, okay? Always. And you got all these subsequent gears down here. And, and with how gears work, from someone who studied pastoral ministry in college and, and, and ministry in my in, in graduate studies, uh, you got a gear all the way down here. And they turn, 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 turn. And it even turns the one, if they're all aligned correctly, it, it, it even turns the one that's down here. But what happens, friends, if... You go all the way down, and you got the motorized gear spinning right here, and then you take this one out. It stops the whole chain all the way down. And so God, God never stops moving. And so we might get in these seasons of dryness. Or we might get in these seasons of God feeling distant. Or we might get in these seasons of God, where are you? How are you working? I want to see and experience you doing this new thing. Uh, and I want to be careful how I say this, but it's not a God thing. Something in the process is out of alignment. See, God's over here moving, turning, holding, sustaining creation. And something got misaligned throughout this whole process. And so what is the step, the first step in us reinserting this gear into the equation so that then everything else plays itself out like it should. How do we align ourselves with a move of God? What does this preparation look like? And so as much as I don't want to turn this into a formula, I do think scripture is clear that there's some things that we can do to prepare ourselves for a move of God and prepare ourselves for the new thing that God might be wanting to do in and through us. And I think very obviously, the first thing that we can do is what we're going to talk about this morning. The first thing we can do to realign ourselves into that process is repentance. Repentance. And, and repentance is, uh, sounds like a really churchy word, and in some ways it is a really churchy word. Uh, but repentance is as simple as saying either to God or to other people that we have dropped the ball twofold. It's, it's admitting, saying, I've dropped the ball, I'm sorry. But it's a step beyond, I've dropped the ball, I'm sorry. Because you have to, for it to be true repentance, you have to go uh, from, I've dropped the ball, I'm sorry, to, and I'm going to do something about it. I dropped the ball, I've messed up, and I'm going to enact some sort of thing to make sure that this is not the trajectory for me uh, going forward. And as I look around, one of the things uh, I, I met with uh, some guys getting 
prepared for this month. And just kind of brainstorm, talk together. And one of the things that we talked about um, when talking about this idea of repentance is that there is really just, you remove, if you want to, the, the church from the whole equation, okay? God from the whole equation. There is just a lack of repentance and the humility that's subsequent to it in our world today. Our world is desperately in need of some repentance, of saying, I don't have it all together. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and we can chalk this up to pride. We can chalk this up to selfishness. Um, but I think we're, we could all stand a good dose of repentance. And we talked about this last week, that following Jesus... We like to go that repentance in our life with Jesus is that first surrender to the God of creation. That repentance is going, I need Jesus in my life for the first time, and I'm going to surrender my life to him, and then I'm going to align my life to his, and then from everything for the rest of your life. You do that at 10 years old, and then you're 60. Well, yeah, I repented when I was 10. I got it taken care of forever ago. But a life of following Jesus is a life of continual and constant repentance of saying, God, I've dropped the ball. I've messed up. And I'm, I'm thankful in this moment for your grace that's meeting me. But I've dropped the ball. Um, and we talked about this last week. But uh, until the Lord returns or the Lord takes us home, um, we're, there's constantly going to be stuff in our lives, big or small, that God's wanting to cultivate and work out inside of us. There's constantly going to have to be stuff that we have the humility uh, to be able to say, okay, this part of my life, it, it doesn't reflect who you are, God. Take it out. Do what you need to do. I'm submitting myself to that process. I don't have it all together. Uh, and just a quick time out. What a, what a hopeful picture that is. I'm hesitant to say this too much, but you remove, you remove Scripture, God, from it and, and just have the conversation of, have you ever met someone that just acts like they have it all together? It is so annoying, isn't it? They're just like infuriating because you're like, I know you don't. I know there's something under the surface that you're like, that is broken or misaligned and it's ugly and uh, I'm, you're just, you're such a fake. You're, you're such a fake. I, I see right through you pretending like you have it all together. How much more so of, a, of the beauty of the gospel can we present to a world that desperately needs it of going, listen, world, I, Jordan Chapel, Jesus follower, I don't have it all together. I don't have it together in my relationships. I'm trying my best in my parenting. I am average at best at a, as a coworker. I'm just over here trying my best, and I'm, I've got a, a large heaps of humility of going, listen, I'm over here trying my best. I'm trusting that the Lord is working in and through me. What, what a dose of hope for a world that desperately needs it. So what does repentance look like? I think King David gives us a really uh, good picture of what this can look like. And, uh, and it, we're going to walk through the process of what his repentance looks like for a particular situation. And uh, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm 51. But before we get there, um, here's, here's what happens leading into it, okay? King David, man after God's own heart. Like you would think if anyone has it all together, it's him. King of Israel, man after God's own heart, uh, really got it going on. There's a situation. 
they're at war, and uh, David is, on, is at the palace, and he looks out over, and he sees a young gal named Bathsheba bathing. Okay, I'll let you fill in the blanks however you want there, but he sees it, he likes it, he's the king, and so uh, David goes about the business of going, hey, go to his people, however kings do, go make this happen. Um, so he and Bathsheba get together, uh, but there's a, there's a slight problem. See, Bathsheba is married, and um, we can paint her in whatever light we want, but if you are in uh, this system of government in ancient Israel, and, uh, and you are told that the king wants to see you, you know, and, you're, and, and you're a woman, you probably don't have too terribly many options about it. And so, uh, sure, it takes two to tango, but also I think, I think we can put a lot of blame on David throwing around his power and authority here. And so uh, they sleep together, and uh, there's a pregnancy that results uh, because of it. And uh, like I said, there's a problem because she's married. There's a further problem because she was alone hanging out. Uh, her husband had no say in it because he was off at, in war fighting for the nation of Israel, being a really noble warrior, uh, really exerting his energy, saying, no, I'm going to protect our people. I'm going to go into battle. Uh, we can have a conversation at a later date about why the king, as the leader of this army, wasn't there and was just living all fat and sassy in the palace. But he's, uh, he's there, um, has his way with Bathsheba. She gets pregnant, and he goes, we are in trouble here. Have you ever had that moment where something goes wrong? It might be as extreme as this, but it might not be. And you get that sinking feeling in your stomach that, oh, something's not right here. And so he says, okay, listen, take her husband, take him, uh, let him come home. And uh, that way, they'll get together. They'll think the pregnancy was because of them being together. And um, maybe this will all just go away. He, Uriah gets invited home, her husband. And uh, he has such integrity and such character that he goes, um, go ahead. There's your wife. Have at it. And he goes, no, not while my brothers in arms are out on the, on the battlefield I'm, I'm going to sleep on the doorstep. I'm not going to. And David's like, are you kidding me? So he sends him back out to battle. He puts him on the front lines. He gives instructions that in, go to the front lines. And then the heat of the battle, I want everyone to drop back, leaving them out there undefended, helpless, on his own. And it was that in this moment, Uriah was overtaken by the enemy and killed. David, sitting there in his palace, having made one mistake with Bathsheba, and then another mistake to, to make up for it. I can't imagine what is going through his head at this point. But through God's grace, he sends a prophet. He sends a prophet named Nathan to go uh, chat with David. So he comes into his presence. He tells him a story. Uh, about a shepherd that has everything that he could ever possibly want, all the sheep he could possibly want. And uh, then he sees another shepherd who just has the one little lowly sheep. 
And uh, he, he goes, uh, the, the guy that had everything he ever wanted, he went and he scooped up the sheep and he took it away from the shepherd. And, and um, who do you think is in the wrong here? And David goes, well, that man, the one that, um, that, that uh, took, took the one thing that the guy had from the, the guy that only had the one thing. Nathan looks him in his eyes and he goes, that is you. That's you. You didn't have anything you wanted, and you took, you took not only uh, this innocence and the sanctity of marriage from this couple, but you took the life. You took the life, the very soul that I've put inside that person. You ended it. All, beca- all to cover up for these mistakes that you made. And it's here that David's uh, confronted with a decision. And it's much like a decision that you and I are confronted with probably daily. I am a really good justifier. I'm a really good justifier. I, uh, when I sin, when I do wrong, when I have wrong inside of me, I'm really good about going, well, yeah, but. I know it was wrong, but. So, like, uh, can I, can I be honest with you as your pastor? I, it's a rhetorical question. I'm going to be. I hope that I can. Um, do you know something that I struggle with sometimes? I, I, and Amanda calls me out on it time and time again. I'm grateful for it. I, sometimes I look around at other churches, either what they're doing, either local, global, we fill in the blank, and I go, that's a weird thing to do. That's a weird thing to do. And, and Amanda goes, what are, you, what are you doing? How is that helpful to anybody? Would you, can you just be encouraging to other believers in Jesus? And I go, well, yeah, but. Look, I mean, look at what they're doing. And she's like, no, there's no yeah, but. It's sin, Jordan. We talked about this in body life. We talked about what it looks like to, to uh, lift up the body. And we're all connected to one another, whether or not we gather under the same roof or not. And I do it all the time. We're really good justifiers at sin. I can look at another church and go, that's a... That's a that's a weird program to do. I would, I would never do that program. I'm looking out for their best interest. Maybe I, should, maybe I should sit down with their pastor. We're great justifiers. So David's faced with a decision here, just like we're faced with. We can either make an attempt at justifying our sin, or we can own it and repent. And here's what David does. This is where we get Psalm 51 from. He says, Have Mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according uh, to your great compassion. Blot out my transgression, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. To David here, Uh, recognized his need for God to lavish mercy on him in these moments. They seem to have a fundamental fundamental understanding and grasp that that, uh, it was in these moments that he had let God down and he was in desperate need of God to, to give that mercy, give that second chance, give that forgiveness over his life. And he knew that it was God exactly God that he needed in this situation. 
And so David very wisely asked God, uh, have mercy on me in accordance with your uh, never-ending love and your great compassion. Um, Don't have mercy on me in accordance with what I deserve because we don't ever deserve mercy. We don't ever deserve unfailing love. Because by definition, mercy and unfailing love is like an unmerited favor, an undeserved gift. So David's calling on God's character here, saying, God, I recognize who you are, and I need your mercy, and I need your love in my life right now. I've completely dropped the ball. And then he owns up to a sentence. He says, I know I have transgressed against you. He goes on to say, you have done, I've done evil in your sight, and you are justified when you judge. He's not, trying to, he's not trying to justify his own sins. He's going, God, you're right here. I've, I've messed up. He's humble when he comes before God. And after acknowledging his sin, he goes on to say, verse uh, 7, he says, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. And I think we get a glimpse here uh, of what I'm trying to lead us into with, with saying, I want God to do a new thing among us. David is in this moment wanting to get rid of all of the ugly things that are festering deep down in his soul. To purge, he says, uh, in another translation, he says, purge is to remove completely, like to completely uh, get rid of all of the things. And he, uh, he says here, do it with hyssop. And he's drawing back on his knowledge of what took place in the temple because hyssop was used for ceremonial cleansing. Like there's, there, there's nothing special about it. It's just a part of what God instructed. He's like, I need some more of that. I need some more of this holy cleansing that God can give to me. David wants it all gone. He's willing to, in this moment, lay himself open before God and say, God, have your way with me. Take out all of the ugly, dirty, festering parts of me, and I'm asking that you'll do a new work through me and in me. And this is the, this is the process of repentance. This is the process of the wheel constantly turning and David inserting himself back into the equation of saying, God, I recognize that you're doing stuff and I want to be a part of that. I don't want to be a part of the ways of this world anymore. I don't want to be a part of, uh, I don't want to be a part of, of my old life. I want to be a part of what you're doing. And so re, let me reinsert myself back into you working. And it's going to be hard. I'm going to have to, like he's doing here, I'm going to have to own up to some of the ugly in my life. But I'm trusting that as I own up to the ugly in my life, as I own up to the stuff that doesn't honor God, I'm trusting that it is in these moments that's God, that God's mercy and God's grace and his unfailing love is going to be the very thing that meets me here. That we, have, we don't have to worry that when we are, are confessing our sin and when we're repenting, we don't have to worry about God's wrath meeting us there. We don't have to worry about God's judgment meeting us there because David's trusting in the character of God. And yes, God is a wrathful God. And yes, God does have judgment. It's in Scripture. We can't ignore that. But David's recognizing through, again, purge me with hyssop, and we can recognize through the work, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus we can recognize that we don't have to be scared when we come into God's presence with repentance. We don't have to be scared in saying, God, I need you to do something in me. 
Because it is exactly God's grace and God's mercy and his never-ending love that's going to meet us in these moments. And then he wraps it up with this. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So this is, this is the whole process of starting over for David. He got rid of all of the old stuff. He says, purge me, get it out, cleanse me with hyssop. And then he's saying, start over, God. Create in me a pure heart. Renew a steadfast spirit. Don't cast me out from your presence or take, me, uh, take your Holy Spirit from me because you, God, are the very person I need to be around in this moment. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David gives us a really good model in Psalm 51. Not a good model of perfection, because he wasn't. He, he wasn't perfect. In fact, this is a pretty monumental mistake. I, I, I don't want to make light of it, because it is, there is, uh, again, uh, uh, ignoring of the fidelity of the marriage union. There's loss of life. This is a weighty matter. And so David does not give us a model for perfection, but he does give us a model for saying, God, I've screwed it up. I need you. I need your help. I need your grace. And it's really easy for us. One of the things Sam and I talked about leading into this week, it's really easy for us to other our problems. It's really easy for us, in the moments when we're faced with the opportunity to repent, it's really easy for us, just like it's easy for us to justify, it's really easy for us to go, that's not my problem. I'm great. I got it going on. It's easy for us to go, well, if my coworkers could just get their act together, everything would be made right. Do you, do you know... Uh, do you know one I hear often, sometimes loudest from the church? I'm going to let you fill in the blank with whichever one uh, you, you might fall into. Uh, but if Democrats could, or if Republicans could, I'd be happy to engage in the problem if my spouse would just apologize. It takes a distinct humility to see God do a new thing through us. But it is exactly that humility that God is inviting us into this morning and inviting us into to, so that we can see a new thing take place in our lives. We need to grow in ownership of our sin, naming it, saying, this is the way that I have let God down. This is the specific way that I have let God down. I have fallen short of a standard. Not so that we can, uh, we can just like wallow in that pity of like, I just dropped the ball again. Just can't ever get anything right. But no, so that we can go, God, I've let you down again. But I'm really, really thankful for your mercy. It's new every morning. And so I dropped the ball yesterday. And uh, I repented to you. And then today, I did it again. But again, your mercy is new every morning. So I'm going to trust in your mercy in my life uh, right now. And then do it the next day. Do it the next day. Do it the next day. We need to grow in our understanding that a life of following God means consistently laying down our preferences, our desires, our rights, 
submitting to God's work. That no, we're not going to get A pluses all the time. But we're consistently going to be striving towards holiness. We're going to be working towards seeing God working in our lives. And we're going to see God do a new thing. So how then do we repent? Uh, what do we do? What we want to plug that gear back in so that we can see God do a new thing. So what is repentance? How do we do it? And I'm going to give you this morning a really easy step-by-step uh, guide. So if you want to get out a pen, get out a paper, here's what it looks like, okay? To repent, step number one, say, I'm sorry. Step number two, trust the Holy Spirit to change. That's it. Step number one, say I'm sorry. Just with all the humility you can muster up, go, I did not get this one right. God, your coworker, wherever you drop the ball, repentance looks like saying, God, I'm sorry. And then step number two is going, Holy Spirit, I need you to work in my life. See, it would be really easy for me to go, well, just change. But I recognize that the, the change is not going to come through some sort of white knuckle holding on for dear life discipline. If we are really, the, the honest to goodness changes that I've experienced in my life, where God has done a new thing in my life, has not come by pure discipline of simply willing and trying to do better. That can only last for so long. So to repent means to say, God, I am sorry for the ways that I have let you down. I want to receive and experience your grace and your mercy in these areas of my life. And then we're trusting in the Holy Spirit and, and cooperating with the Holy Spirit of going, these are the areas of my life that I need to change. And sometimes it is uh, active steps on your part. And sometimes you go, I need the Holy Spirit to change this part of me. I am dependent on God to work in and inside of me. See, I think repentance is necessary in this whole process of the gears turning and God working and moving for a couple of reasons. Number one, it reminds us that God is in charge and we are not. It reminds us that we are, we are submitting ourselves to God. Of going, God is the creator of the universe. Uh, God is larger than we are. God is big. God is moving and working. And, and we are recognizing our relationship to him. And inside of that, the second reason I think repentance is so necessary is because it cultivates inside of us the humility necessary to yield our will to God. The first off, we're recognizing our relationship to him and how we fit in with him. And then secondly, we're, uh, we're, we're developing the humility inside of us to go, and I don't want, uh, I don't want my way, I want your way. I want your way, God, because I recognize that your way is better than my way. Every single time. God being all wise, all loving, all knowing, all of the all things. His way is always better. Always. Repentance sets the stage for God doing a new thing. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to, uh, I'm just going to 
invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning. We're going to sit, and I've instructed Matt, we're going to sit in a good chunk of silence. Maybe an uncomfortable chunk, but a good chunk. And we're just going to listen. We're going to ask God, speak to us. What do we need to be repenting of? What are, we, what are you trying to cultivate in and through us? What are, you trying to, what are you trying to work out? What are you trying to do like a skillful surgeon? What are you trying to do some sort of surgery on in our souls? We're going to ask God, what do we need to repent of? And then we're just going to listen. And then after that chunk of silence is over, there's a song. Uh, we've, heard it, we've heard it here before, I think, pretty early on to me coming here. Uh, but we're just going to listen to the song, and it's going to be a song of reflection. Um, and it's, the lyrics are so good. It's such a good reminder of what it means to, to repent and to follow God and to trust in him. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're just going to sit and listen and ask God to speak to us, and then we're going to close with the song. So Holy Spirit... Counsel, guide, help us discern, convict us, Lord. Use this time even now to change us, to shape us, to mold us. So that we might look more like your image for a a world that desperately needs to see it. Speak to us now. I ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.